0: Yeah, the effect of my workaholism on my romantic and platonic relationships has been devastating.
1: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work, Now, here is Kathleen.
2: I am here today with Manisha Takor, and she is a financial literacy advocate for women. She adores teaching, writing, and speaking about the essentials of personal finance. And she's worked in the financial services field, which is primarily white and male, for over 25 years. She has come to know how important it is to empower women to achieve financial well-being. And she certainly has written great books, offered wonderful programs, and I'm sure touched many, many lives with her commitment to financial well-being. And when I you know, think about why women, one of the things she says is the short answer is that money gives women voices and choices. Manisha, I'm so excited for you to be on the podcast today. Welcome. Kathleen, thank you so much for having me. I always love talking to you. Yes, we always have fun and interesting conversations, and I do so admire your work. And so I'm excited to talk about this relatively new topic. We haven't discussed this before around the impact of overworking or workaholism on couples and their relationships. And so you're nice enough to come in today uh, and share both the research you've done as well as kind of some of your personal story. Um, So one of the things that's really interesting to me, and I'm sure a lot of people who know of your work, is that from the outside, you are a successful, accomplished writer, speaker, and financial professional. And not to say that you're not all of those things, but however, you know, recently, you disclosed, uh, very bravely, your struggle to find balance in your life, often working to the point of exhaustion. So how did you first come to this realization that, wow, I'm working too much and it's really getting in the way of my financial and emotional well-being?
0: <laughs> well, um, the universe tried to tell me multiple times <laughs> and finally it had to like punch me like in the face to get me to listen. And by that, I mean, I got so sick, I could not help but listen. And it started, Kathleen, actually... When you and I first met in person at FinCon-
2: Yes, I remember you weren't feeling well. I I
0: wasn't, yeah, I wasn't feeling well. And it just started snowballing from there. The next thing that happened was I started struggling to stay awake. And so I would go into the office and I was working for Brighton Jones at the time. And they had this wonderful wellness room. And I I was living in Portland, Oregon, and the, the headquarters was in Seattle. I'd fly up to Seattle and I, you know, work for an hour or two and I'd have to go into the wellness room and sleep for three hours. And then I'd get back up and I'd do another hour, 90 minutes of work. And I'd go back in the wellness room and sleep for another two or three hours. And this went on for for quite some time until it ultimately got to the point that I was like awake five hours a day. And then I f- finally got to the point where I had these huge red welts all over my body that just, like, it just hurt to touch. My head felt like it was on fire, but did that stop me? No, it wasn't until I finally had a fever that hit 104. I go into my primary care physician and, like, her eyes are, like, bugging out. And she's like, I'm sending you to the hospital. The first stop is to have blood drawn. And the phlebotomist like does a double take looking at the, the list of how many tests are going to be run. And he says to me like, Oh my God, what's wrong with you? And I just burst into tears and the so long and the short of it was I had a cute Epstein bar which is ep- shingles is to chickenpox Epstein bar is to mono what shingles is to chickenpox so I had an exceptionally severe case of mono but on top of that I had extreme inflammation so there are d- various different markers of inflammation in your body one of them is called a sed rate And normally your SED rate is between zero and 20. And a a SED rate of 100 typically indicates malignancy or tumor. And mine was like, you know, over 90 off the charts. And thankfully I didn't have a tumor, but what was happening after they did, you know, every possible test on me, the conclusion was my body was attacking itself. Like It was just shutting down
2: from literally
0: workaholic, work, like I had, I was working myself to death. That That's was-
2: what I was going to say. Like, and I can remember, so I saw you in person and then we touched base, you know, via email a couple of months later and you still didn't have a diagnosis. And, and I remember you saying you were taking a break from work and I just was so worried about you. And so you literally, your body was telling you, you have to stop going at this pace.
0: Quite literally, I mean, my primary care physician, who's amazing and had never seen anything like this and loves to do research, said, you are literally, my conclusion is your autoimmune system has gone wild and you are literally working yourself to death. And if you don't stop, and I was on bed rest for almost nine months.
2: Well, you had to catch up and and rebalance. And so when you think back, now that you're, I assume you're feeling much better and you're feeling more balanced and, and healthier.
0: Completely. I mean, I've had a 180 in mindset and habit.
2: Oh, great. That's good to know. So when you look back to when you were sick, before you were even kind of aware of what was going on, what was your money mindset? What was it that drove you to work so hard?
0: There's another interesting thing. So it was a, a mindset of never enough. And what's interesting about this is I, as you mentioned, I spent my entire career in the financial services industry. I, I did my MBA at Harvard Business School. It's not like I don't know how to run the numbers. And I'd run the numbers on myself six ways to Sunday. And I live a really kind of plain and boring, pretty frugal life. And so, um, and i worked, as I mentioned, in financial services, which can be a fairly lucrative industry depending on what part you work in. And the early part of my career, I worked on the institutional side, which is the part of the industry that oftentimes can be the, the very high paying part. And um, I saved like a crazy person when I was working in that part. And so, you know, when I ran the numbers, at my level of spending, I wasn't going to ra- run out of money even if I lived until I was a hundred. So it wasn't that I needed money, but I, it felt I was so fearful. It, part of it was like the the bag lady. Part of it, the bag lady syndrome, that I'm going to end up old, poor, and under a bridge. Part of it was it was never enough that again th- this concept that I felt like my self-worth was tied to my net worth. And so there's always gonna be somebody who was doing better and I, I wasn't keeping up, even though, you know, you you don't know because it's not like people are walking around with their net worth blastered on their forehead. And e- even though I knew I was okay, still this feeling of of scarcity. So it's this weird mix. And I would say there was also an element of guilt because I am mixed race. My mom is from a, a blue collar family in upstate New York. My dad grew up in a, a modest household in India. I have opportunities that prior generations on both sides of my families could have only dreamed of. And I feel you know, feel guilt like that I have had such profound luck and I need to make the absolute most of it. And so who am I to stop I should keep going? You know, it's it's kind of a ball of yarn.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so I hear the the never enough, no matter how much, the the competitiveness, which usually is really about not feeling good about ourselves, and also, you know, the experience of of having your parents that immigrant experience of having your parents come and give you these opportunities and feeling not only a sense of guilt, but a sense of drive that you had to keep going and going and going. Now, I want to talk about how that affected your relationships, your romantic relationships, your work relationships, and your friendships. If you are working that much and that driven by there's never enough to the nth degree First of all, did you have relationships? And second of all, what was the impact on them? So I am divorced
0: and childless. <laughs> so um, that says something about the extent yep. of my um, relationships. Um, one thing that's interesting is, you know, they say opposites attract. And um, I have found in, in my case and in many cases, financial opposites attract. Oftentimes I've observed that there's something financially intoxicating in the early stages of relationships. And that was uh, about financial otherness. And that was certainly true in my case. When I met my ex-husband, his philosophy was, man, I'm going out of this world with a zero in my bank
2: account. Interesting. Um, That's yeah, so opposite.
0: He, he was a uh, very successful a lawyer, and he lives life to the fullest. And uh, you know, I I wanted to my my thought process is I want to live on my interest in dividends and give the rest away to charity and my nieces and nephews. And so the otherness was attractive in the, in the beginning, and then you know ultimately became a source of contention. And so the But I think the main piece that was so hard on our marriage was that I was not an attentive spouse because I was constantly working. And when one person wants to be out having fun and living life and the other person is constantly living with the money mindset that I described before and working all the time, that does not make for a healthy relationship. And as for other relationships, I mean, I will just tell you this year, I noticed that the only holiday cards I received are from people who I pay money to. Um, So, I mean, like, literally it was like my housekeeper, you know, my virtual assistant. I mean, I did not get, or extended family members, like not a single friend. I mean, I have... I look back and I I have pretty much blown up every friendship. And one of my goals going forward is to try and repair them and make new friendships and treat them like gold. Yeah, the effect of my workaholism on my romantic and platonic relationships has been devastating.
2: Mm, it's sad because you're such a wonderful person. And, and I know I, I've seen the shift in the last year or so in terms of how you're approaching life and how you're approaching relationships. And so, you know, again, I think it's great that you're coming forward with your story. Um, we're going to need to take a quick break, but when we come back, what I want to talk about is broadening it out because you've also done some research on the topic of workaholism and talking a little bit about how do listeners understand if they're falling into this trap, because it sounds like there was a high level of denial, so I imagine there is for other folks, and then offering some tips and tools on how people can start to heal their money mindset and find more balance in life. So we'll be back in just a moment with Manisha Takor. Hi, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I want to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit about financial therapy. Yes, financial therapy. That word keeps showing up in the media more and more, but I've been doing financial therapy for years. And in 2023, I'm going to expand this part of my business. And I wanted you, my podcast listeners, to be the first to know. If you're curious about what is financial therapy, just know that it helps individuals and couples change unhealthy money habits, attitudes that cause them stress, anxiety, and lead them to feel uncomfortable with money. If you have trouble making big decisions, if you find that you're shopping too much, carrying too much debt, worrying about money, even though you shouldn't be worrying about money because there's enough in the bank, it may be time to consider financial therapy. The benefits are numerous and individual, but former clients have told me that they have experienced in a very short period of time, a decrease in money-related anxiety and stress. They have less conflict about money in their relationships and they engage in more productive money conversations. The advisors that refer clients to me say, finally, my clients can make the changes in their financial behaviors in order to save for their future. So if this sounds appealing to you and you want to know a little bit more, I have a special offer. I'm offering a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who's interested in learning more about financial therapy. You can email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com or you can go to the show notes, click on the schedule link and set something up via my automatic calendar. If you're listening to this, not on my website, and you find that I don't want to do that, I would rather just reach out to you directly. Feel free to use my private email at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com and shoot me an email letting me know you'd like to take advantage of this time-limited offer. So my hope is we'll chat about financial therapy soon, and now it's time to get back to our regular programming. Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. It's the Breaking Money Silence podcast. And we are having a fascinating conversation today with Manisha Tokor. She is a colleague and a friend and someone who's written several books. She is going to and has been talking about her personal story around workaholism and been generous enough to really talk about some of the devastating impacts of putting work and money first. So Manisha, you have done a lot of work after your body shut down, after there were all these signs like you cannot do this anymore. I know you have done a lot of work, both physically and emotionally. Um, Tell me, what have you learned about workaholism and and what are some of the signs that people can notice in themselves or others? Because it it sounds like you didn't have an awareness that this was a thing when you were going so strong.
0: Yeah, and you know... Kathleen it's a lot like a lo- uh, like other isms alcoholisms or I know you have a background in um, having
2: eating disorders yeah
0: eating disorders exactly and so it's it's uh, a lot like the difference between a person who can have a few drinks and put it down or somebody who might you know on the night of the big game you know kind of go a bit hog wild and you know drink way too many once a year, but, you know, that's kind of it. Or the individual on Thanksgiving, you know, eats to the limit, but isn't somebody who is binging and purging. And the difference between working hard and kind of paying your dues and actual workaholism is that there is an internal you know i would say if you're working hard and paying your dues the drive comes in in it in internally and it's from a place of joy desire accomplishment whereas workaholism tends to come kind of from this nebulous outer sign of emptiness like you you referenced it before this feeling of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Um, there's something wrong with me. I, I feel less than. I don't. Uh, it's it. My self worth is low. It comes from these negative feelings rather than more positive feelings. And you know, signs of it tend to be um, that you you do it repetitively, even though. You can, you you do it, you cannot, you feel like you cannot stop, even though you can see the negative consequences around you. You would like to stop, but you literally feel compelled to keep on going, and that really is... You know, if, if you go and, you know, you, you Google uh, Workaholics Anonymous, you know, they, you'll see a, a listing of questions that can help you identify whether or not you're a workaholic. And I can remember early on in the book, one of the things I thought I would do is go ten, attend a workaholic anonymous meeting. But early on in writing the book, I'm thinking like, well, who the heck has time to go go to a workaholic anonymous
2: meeting? <laughs> I'm busy workaholic- working. Right <laughs> You know, in a more serious note though, I, I think having worked in the field of eating disorders and, and clinically in the past, what it strikes me as is it's very similar in that you're trying to feel whole and no matter what you do, you don't. And And the dilemma with any of these isms, and and correct me if I'm wrong with workaholism because I've certainly been driven, but I, I haven't struggled with workaholism, is that it works. Like if you don't feel good about yourself and you distract yourself with work, if you distract yourself with going out partying, if you distract yourself with whatever the number is on the scale, the dilemma with all of these is they do work in the short run and they work pretty well. And then they stop working. And so for you, you know, it stopped working. And as you said in the opening, there were all these signs. And eventually when your body shut down, that was where you were able to go, wait a second, something's wrong. So- If somebody's listening and says, boy, that sounds a little bit like me, or that sounds like my partner, what advice do you have?
0: risk of sounding like a commercial,
2: this is the entire reason
0: why I'm writing this book is I couldn't find any one piece of advice. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times people would say to me, just work less or don't make money your God, or go get a hobby. And what I came to realize is that Buddhists will refer to that feeling of emptiness as the hungry ghost. And the answer for every one of us is different. And so the way I've come to think about it is what causes the emptiness in each of us, I think, comes in four broad buckets. One are personal factors, which can be traumas that happened oftentimes very young, but could be at any point in your life. Some of it are cultural factors from uh, your your ethnic, heritage and upbringing. Some can be due to societal influences from where you're currently living. And some can have to do with evolutionary biological factors. And so what I find, it's like a Rubik's Cube. And the reason this is such a hard thing to address is that the weight on each of those four factors will differ for each individual person. And so particularly as it relates to kind of money, workaholism, and that conundrum, I am so thrilled that this genre, if you will, of financial therapy is opening up because I feel like that is going to be the space that we are going to start finding help and healing because it is an interdisciplinary problem and up until now i have i have not been able to find one single source and that's because uh, for help and that's because i don't think there's one single cause to
2: the problem right and, and part of probably recovery is figuring out how do you what are the different factors and how do you address what's underneath the actual behavior of working or you know worshiping money or whatever it might be for you now tell me again what the title of the book is and then also i want to know kind of what is your hope in sharing your personal struggle. what What is the hope that you have for others? And what do you think people listening in can hope for if they decide they have this problem and, and wanna address it?
0: So um, the book is called Money Zen and the subtitle is Escape the Cult of Never Enough and Reclaim Your Life. And my hope is that Anyone who finds themselves having a toxic relationship with either money, work, accomplishments, or prestige, such that it's affecting their ability to experience joy in life, will find either something in my story or in the stories of the wide range of individuals that I've interviewed or in the research of the wide range of experts studying various different aspects of these problems, will find a, a nugget or two or three that will lead them down a path to find the right kind of expert or therapy or activities that will open the door for them to experience what I call financial health and emotional wealth, or or said slightly differently. When I started the book, I was stuck in living my life to optimize the equation, self-worth equals net worth. And that had disastrous effects on the quality of my life. And now I'm focused on living my life to optimize the equation of financial health, so you know, being having good financial hygiene, but optimizing the equation financial health plus emotional wealth, bringing in all those other factors that bring joy to our life, and what I say is that financial health plus emotional wealth equals money zen
2: i love that i love that i you know it's it so speaks to the fact that there is an emotional component around money and the money and emotional tie is really the key for a lot of people i am thrilled to have full disclosure been interviewed for the book to also uh, eventually be able to read the book and most importantly manisha i'm really excited for you as a person To be able to come to the other side and do it in such a honest and transparent way that I know will be incredibly helpful to the people listening to this podcast and all the people that you're going to touch with this particular book.
0: Well, I I have to say, I cannot thank you enough, Kathleen, because you were interviewed. The book's been a two-year journey to write, and you were interviewed very early on. And the comments you made to me literally were like a, a jet engine under my wings in terms of um, helping um, serve as a big catalyst in the change um, that I made as a human. So in the book, and it just further reinforces what the power I think of wealth psychology as a discipline can bring to helping solve these issues.
2: That's very sweet. I look forward to continuing our conversation. I look forward to hopefully developing a little bit more of a friendship. And in the meantime, I would love for you to tell people a little bit about where they can find out more about your work and your other books, but also this upcoming book.
0: Everything lives in one place and it's moneyzen.com.
2: Awesome. It has been great to break money silence with you today. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Kathleen,
0: thank you for having
2: me.
1: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.